0: If you were here last week, you remember that I tried to preach on Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 28, 29, and 30, and what that, um, what that actually meant, and this week I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a spin-off, I guess you could say of Romans, the 8th chapter in those verses there, um, that somewhat is somewhat tied to it, but gives us a little more information to help us understand some things. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about the 28th verse of Romans 8, where it talks about all things work together for good. And we tried to look at that and see what that really meant and kind of compare it to uh, the m- more popular, uh, very well believed idea that uh, all things are orchestrated by God and, and everything that happens is according to his will. Uh, and he, even though in our sight, it, it, there, there are things that are very unpleasant he he brings those about because he's got some mysterious greater good to bring about and we talked about that, that that that's that's not true that's not what that verse is talking about and so the more i thought this week the more the subject of the will of god was on my mind the will of god which is is tied to romans eight twenty eight to some degree and I want to look at the, and and I have preached this before in the past. I don't remember if it was here or not, but with a little different take on it. I want you and don't answer this uh, because I don't don't want you to answer incorrectly and, and, and maybe embarrass yourself. But I want you to ask yourself the question, is the will of God always done? Is the will of God always done? There are some people that would say that, the answer to that is yes. They would say that everything that happens, even though we don't fully understand it, is in accordance uh, with the will of God. Uh, now, the answer to the question, is the will of God always done? The answer to that is, is clearly no. Clearly no. The Bible teaches us that, and we're going to look at that. Uh, for example, uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, I want to look at a couple verses here and try to establish at the beginning here is the will of God always done. In 1 Thessalonians, the 4th chapter in verse 3, it reads this. It says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Okay, so clearly the Bible is teaching here that the will of God is that Uh, you should abstain from fornication. And we know what that is. That is, you know, certain relations outside of the bond of marriage. And the will of God is that outside of the bond of marriage, that that should not take place. So the question is, does it take place? Well, of course it does. The vast majority, uh, I would say, uh, you know, that of unmarried people probably uh, are violating the will of God here. If you just look at statistics. So, if I did not have any other verses, I could just use this verse to show you that the will of God is not always done. Now, if you flip over a chapter or so, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says this. It says, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God." in christ jesus concerning you all right there's another aspect it is the will of god that we are thankful and we give thanks do you ever fail to do that sure we all do so is the will of god ultimately done when it comes to his people giving thanks the answer to that is no so when you think about uh and and just from a logical standpoint think back to the 10 commandments where we know what the will of god is it is not something that we have to scrutinize over and and study over we know that the will of god is that thou shalt not kill do people violate that yes thou shalt not steal Do people violate that yes so it's very easy to see that the will of God is not always done. Now, the will of God, and, and different preachers over time have given it you know, different names different, uh, to, to, to establish these two different categories. The will of God is broken down into two categories. One is the absolute will of God. The other category is the permissive will of God. You might call that the free will okay of man permissive will of god free will of man we're gonna call it permissive will of god now what is the permissive will of god the permissive will of god is when god's will is that we should obey him in certain things and if we obey him in those certain things then god's permissive will is satisfied okay He says that the will of God concerning you is that you abstain from fornication. Some do, some don't. The ones that do are meshing their will with God's will. And that's where we need to be. Our will needs to mesh with God's will. You see, under God's permissive will, we have the freedom and the liberty that we may obey and we may not obey now i spoke to you last week about sometimes we're the victim of time and chance now i want to try to explain that a little bit because i had a good brother we were conversing back and forth about this this past week maybe that's what stimulated my mind on these things and uh you know one of the one of the things that he was he was asking was he said, if, if, you know, your example that you used last week, he said about the, the drunk driver. He said, you know, the drunk driver uh, comes, you know, barreling through the intersection and T-bones your car and is maimed. And he said, you know, even though God did not cause that to happen, isn't that still God's will? And I said, I said, well, no. I said, because it happens like this. Uh, and I've explained it here this way many different times that God just because the Lord unrestrains the powers of darkness does not mean he directs them and the example that I've used before is the the picture of a man holding up a dam that that is keeping a river back when when that person removes his hand and allows that dam to fall, he unrestrains it. But he does not have to direct the water to flood out and to wash away and destroy all the things that it's going to wash away and destroy. It does that by its own nature, by its own properties. So while he unrestrained it, he did not direct it. I hope that makes sense. Now... To some measure, to some degree, when Adam sinned in the garden, the Lord unrestrained sin and evil. And it flooded into this world and it began to corrupt and to destroy, but it wasn't because He was directing it to. It's because that's the nature of evil is to flood in and destroy. So when a a man decides to... Go out and get drunk and get in his car under the influence of the powers of darkness. Although they have the liberty to do that because they have been unrestrained to some extent, he does not direct them to do so. Now, and in that case, here's where our decision comes in. I'm the man that's sitting there at the table and I've got the case full of alcohol in front of me. Am I going to let my will mesh with God's permissive will? Or am I going to let my own will rule and set God's permissive will aside and go ahead and get drunk and go out and destroy somebody else's life? That is where time and chance comes into play. There are times we are victims because other people chose not to mesh their will with God's permissive will. Now, it's important that we understand that. But God's permissive will is not the only category. We also have God's absolute will. Now, God's absolute will, in my opinion, is best described in Daniel the fourth chapter... In verse 35, and it reads like this And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or sayest unto him, What doest thou? Amen. That is a picture of God's absolute will. And what I mean by that is there is no entity that exist that when God says this is how this is going to happen that nothing can stop that. Amen. No influence can stop that. Now, and I want to look at a few examples of that. In many of Paul's letters when he begins to write the letter to the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus or some of the other ones he will start it like this. Paul An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, is Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's permissive will or because of God's absolute will? Well, if you go back to Acts the ninth chapter for just a second and you read about where all this begins to take place with Paul... If you remember, well, Saul... Let me say Saul at this time. Saul is on his way to destroy the lives of Christians. That is his reputation. And he goes into cities. He imprisons them. He has them, you know, taken. And he has their stuff taken. And maybe has some of them killed. Paul is very zealous. But Paul is zealous for a law. Not zealous for Jesus Christ. And as Saul is on the road to Damascus... We know the story where the Lord comes to him and what I believe in that moment, the Lord takes the old man heart out of him and he gives him a new spirit and a new heart and he borns him again on the road to Damascus. Now, he goes from one instant from hating Christians wanting to killing them to the next instant bowing down before the Lord saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Give me a command direct me and guide me and tell me what you want to do well at the same time the lord is talking to a man named ananias a prophet of god saying there's a man named saul that is going to be coming and he said i need you to interact with him and ananias says this he says lord i have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at jerusalem and there he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Ananias says, "I, you know, Lord, I really don't want to deal with this guy. I've heard of how evil he is, and now you're telling me that I'm supposed to go and interact with him. And this is what the Lord said. He said, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, on the road to Damascus, was that the permissive will of God or the absolute will of God? Could, could, Could Saul stay the Lord's hand right here? Could Saul say, what doest thou? No. Saul went from hating what the Lord was all about to surrendering the next instant under the mighty power and sovereignty of God saying what would you have me do? And then he is described to Ananias as he's not just some guy that kind of got his act together or that heard something special in a sermon or read something special in the law and decided to let his permissive will mesh with God's will. It's not what he says. He says I have chosen him. I have selected Him. I have overpowered Him. He cannot stop this. Satan cannot stop this. And Paul says, do you know as he writes these letters, do you know why I'm an Apostle of Christ Jesus? It's because of the will of God that happened on the road to Damascus, overpowering me, overtaking me, and making me something that I was not nor would ever become on my own. That's God's absolute will. Now, let me give you one other example of God's absolute will. Matthew the first chapter in the 21st verse. <clears throat> it says this, speaking about Mary, says and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Does is there anything in that verse that seems that like salvation is going to be an uncertainty is there anything about the way that's written that makes you feel like there's some guesswork and chance and some unknowns into whether or not salvation will absolutely be put on his people doesn't sound that way to me because he says he shall save his people from their sins and i could stand up here brother tim can stand up here probably for the rest of the day and show you places in the Bible where salvation for God's people is a certainty. It is not an ongoing list that is continuing to be made. It is not a it is not a picture where God or or the Lord is walking up and down through the halls of heaven, just wringing his hands, saying, "Oh, I hope so and so finally hears the message today, finally understands about sin." finally understands about the dangers of hell, and finally decides to confess and repent and accept me as their personal Lord and Savior because I've got my pen ready and I just can't wait to write their name in the Lamb's book of life. You never see that picture in the Bible. Not one single time. Because God is standing in the halls of heaven on the foundation of He shall save His people. The Lord's not sweating it. The Lord knows that my salvation, his salvation was finished and complete and sure and is kept. That's God's absolute will. The absolute will of God is that I will save my people through the sacrifice of the perfect spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. And Satan may come along one day and try to tempt that perfect sacrificial lamb named Jesus Christ to get him to stumble where we will no longer have a perfect sacrifice. But he can't stop it. Because that is going to happen. He is going to be perfect and spotless. He is going to go to the cross. He is going to shed his blood. And I am going to accept that offering. And nothing can stop it. That's God's absolute will. Now, let me finish with this in Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter here. What I've tried to explain to you today is God has a will. And sometimes that will is absolute and there's nothing that anybody can do to stop it sometimes God's will is a permissive will where he says this is what I desire for my people that they do not kill they do not steal they do not fornicate that they are thankful in all things and the list goes on and then your decision to make is will you let your will be that will will you let your will mesh with God's will because when we do that's where peace lives when you decide to do your own thing and not do the will of God, then that's when unrest and conflict and sorrow and heartache comes. Now, the question would be, well, how do I always know what the will of God is? If, if Concerning the permissive will of God, how do I always know that? Well, some of it, you just got to read the Bible. And, and that sounds silly, but do you realize how many of God's people are out there that will pray that will go to church will will kind of and they have very very little idea of what the word of God actually says well if you want to know what the will of God is read the Bibles to to start with but in Romans the 12th chapter and verse 2 it gives us the secret to understanding God's will where there is liberty and and it is somewhat dependent on our choices It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove. To prove means to test, to examine, and to scrutinize. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now that tells me a couple things. That tells me if we're conformed to this world, And we are doing things that are worldly, that it blurs our vision and understanding about what the will of God is. Because it says, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, that ye may scrutinize over it. And listen, we are not intelligent enough to live like the world, to dress act talk do all the things like the world does go the places the world goes listen to and watch the things the world does and we are not intelligent enough to do all those things and still have a perfect bead on what the will of god is for us Amen. number one if we're doing all those things we clearly don't know what the will of god is for us because he says don't be conformed to that that means don't change yourself to look like that unless ashamed sometimes that we have to really really look at somebody and say you know i don't really know if 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 you're spiritually minded or carnally minded i'm having trouble telling by the way you look and by the way you talk and by the things that you enjoy that's somebody that's conformed themselves to this world and all of god's people can do that and most of us have at some point well it clouds our vision to know what the perfect will of god is for us It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I am thankful for God's absolute will. Because without God's absolute will, salvation would not exist. Because if if salvation was put into God's permissive will category, you know what the Bible tells us? That nobody would seek it. Nobody would understand it. Nobody would want it. We would, I, uh, the Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. There's nothing about the Lord in our carnal natural state that would make us want to mesh with Him. Right. So I'm glad salvation is part of His absolute will otherwise there would be no salvation. And I pray for all of us that we will not be conformed to the world so as we walk, we can see God, what is your will? Because whatever your will is, I want to mesh with that. I want your will to be my will. Because that's where I'll find peace. I didn't say that's where you'll you'll find comfort and wealth and health and all that. Because these apostles that you read about, you know, what what does Paul say? uh, Or maybe it was Peter, I can't remember which one, that said, you know, happy are you, If they persecute you, did you know that when these men were suffering for the sake of the Lord, you see, their will, the Lord's will, and their will had become one. And it cost them dearly the comforts of this life. But they had more joy there than they did over here. I think about Jeremiah, and I'll close you with this. You know what the will of God for Jeremiah was? It was to preach. To preach in a time when nobody really wanted to be a preacher. I like preaching in this time. You know, revival, there's growth, people are interested. I wouldn't want to preach in a time when the Lord said, hey, nobody's going to want to hear what you got to say, and they're going to hate you for it, and you're going to get sick of it. I wouldn't want to preach in that time. But that's what, and, 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 you know, the Lord tells Jeremiah, nobody's going to listen to you. All right, Jeremiah, here is my permissive will for you. I want you to go preach. They will not listen, and they'll hate you for it. Think about Jonah. What was God's permissive will for Jonah? To go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't, and what happened? He was miserable. Jeremiah goes and he preaches, and his flesh gets so tired of preaching to people that will not listen, he says, I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm, I, I just, I'm not I can't do this it's, it's difficult but what Jeremiah found would it it was way more miserable way more miserable to not be in line with the will of God than it was to run from it because he says and I'm paraphrasing Lord if I don't speak if I, don't, if I do not do what you are telling me to do, it is a fire inside of me. And it is consuming me, and I am so miserable that I can't get it out that I would rather them hate me than sit here and be against what you're calling me to do. Following the will of God doesn't necessarily mean you'll be comfortable, but there's a joy and a peace in it that you will not find anywhere else.